0: This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and/or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID nineteen. You're listening
1: to Minutia Men. But first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show.
0: This is Stick to Everything. I'm Larry, and I'm Paul M. Banks. In this episode, we get a little deep about things, everything from famous musicians to even human interaction. I tell you the story
2: of these Latin. Ibrahimovic versus LeBron James stick to sports debate through my Zlatan accent
0: and if you're a fan of Punky Brewster be sure to tune in because I've got my favorite episode on tap listen to stick to everything podcast with Larry Hawley and Paul M. Banks on Spotify opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts just search for Radio Misfits
2: The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An o production on
1: the
3: Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Man, Man, Man with Rick and Dave.
1: Special edition, special edition, special edition,
4: special edition,
1: special edition. This is a Minutia Man special edition. We have put together for you a, uh, a compendium of highlights of Minutia Men celebrity interview with Rick Kempfer and Dave Stern. Uh, please enjoy some of the great highlights that we've had for you, uh, beginning with this one. Time now for the Celebrity Minutia Minute. Hey, you got a minute. Celebrity Minutia Minute with Rick and Dave. Okay, joining us on the show. We're very excited about this. A, a genuine rock star, Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, a original member, continuing to be part of a very successful band, the Buckinghams. Let me just uh, set the stage uh, before we bring Carl on. In 1967, the year that Sergeant Pepper came out, The Buckinghams were named by Billboard magazine as the most listened to band in America. John and Paul, you can suck it. Right. (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) right. They were kind of like the predecessors of that horn rock sound, you know, blood, sweat and tears, Chicago, et cetera. But really, the Buckinghams came first, didn't they?
3: Yes, we did. You know, we, we weren't. Uh, anyway, let me just say uh, thanks yeah. for having me on. Yes, yeah, It's our, Appreciate pleasure. It. It's our it's, pleasure. It's great. It's always a pleasure. You became the
1: Buckinghams uh, after you signed the, the label with the label, right? Or, or were you already known no, as the Buckinghams?
3: We, we were already the Buckinghams. Okay. You know, we, we were, um, when we won the audition. A lot of bands auditioned for that TV show. Right. Time hits. We were still the Pulsations. Okay, that's a cool, <laughs> <Great> name. name. <laughs> <Yeah>. The Pulsations. <laughs> and uh, sounds anyway, dirty. So, yeah. Well, maybe that's why they made us change. Right? right <laughs> maybe. But the, but the other thing, too, was WGN, um, well, the, the station was pretty straight-laced at the time. And, right. But they they wanted to capitalize on the British invasion, mm-hmm. too. Makes sense. And uh, so they came up with, uh, actually, we, we became friends with a, a guy who was a security guard who worked for the station. Uh, his name was John O'Pager. John came up with, hey, why don't you call it the Buckinghams? And oh, We wow. thought, wow, that's, that's a cool name. I, we couldn't believe there wasn't some British group. Yeah, Part of the british invasion that was already using it you know so we started doing the tv show as the buckinghams okay and um, um you know and then then we got the record
1: so it had nothing to do with that. the fountain
3: no yeah. not really that's no, funny it, it 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 didn't um I mean, we we knew there was Buckingham Fountain and everything. And as a matter of fact, I'll I'll insert this little story: when we uh, when they were going to release the kind of a drag album on USA. uh, they they kept telling us, you guys better come up with a cover picture or something, cover design. Otherwise, we're going to just put a black cover up with your name <laughs> yeah. on it, you know, and uh, come up with something, you know.
2: Make it snappy. So,
3: <laughs> yeah. So we got this brilliant idea. One of our friends uh, had one of the first uh, Polaroid cameras. And we said, let's go down the Buckingham Fountain. Yeah. Sure. And we'll take a picture in front of the fountain, and we'll use that. You know, okay, we'll do that. So we get down there, we do it. You know, okay, it looked pretty good. Well, by the time they blew it up the size of the album, it was so grainy.
1: Yeah, and, those and so those Polaroids, it was,
3: right? Yeah. Oh my God. You know, there was just not like the digital world. You know, it was <laughs> right. just, it was just a. You know, it, all you see behind us is is a bunch of lights and uh you you can't really tell it's the fountain, and yeah. we looked kind of grainy too, but you know it's something about it it was kind of cool looking too yeah. at the same time you know it was like uh just a, a a really cool looking uh picture, so that's what they used, and it was Buckingham Fountain behind us, but like I said, you couldn't tell what what that was back there, just some lights you know so that was uh as close as we came to identifying with uh, the fountain
2: you know so this all was happening just a year or two out of high school right so you're basically
3: oh yeah so yeah, yeah.
2: and you're a lane tech grad right are you from lane tech right, right? So lane tech you're talking to one buddy you're yeah. talking to another oh, yeah. late tech grad um right were you what there you, what
3: year did you graduate
2: i, uh, I was 1981 uh oh, and the way lo- after me <laughs> yeah a little bit but but the front of my freshman year We had to swim naked. Were you there for the naked swimming years? Yes. Yeah. Kind of a drag, wasn't it? It was. uh,
3: What a sick thing that was. People don't even
1: believe that that really happened, but they did it for years.
3: Yeah. Why did they? I don't know. Yeah. What was that all about?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I think you don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I don't want to know either.
2: That was know, before the Me Too, the hashtag Me Too era. Exactly.
3: Like, there might have been uh, yeah. some creepy coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly.
2: OK. Joining us on the
1: phone. This is a, a big thrill for us. Manisha, man, we have uh, all time Cubs great. uh He was a star on the Cubs when I was a kid and Dave was a kid. We used to watch him all the time. Good old number 23. He roamed third base and second base. I believe he played every position on the Cubs except for center field, pitcher, and catcher. Is that correct? Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) I think I know more about him than he knows about himself. It wasn't that long ago. (laughs) Carmen Fanzone, thanks for coming on the show.
4: Oh my pleasure, my pleasure.
1: So uh, you played on the Cubs back in the '70s. You you were uh, teammates with several Hall of Famers, correct?
4: Yes, right.
1: Billy Williams, Ron Santo, Fergie, Fergie,
4: Fer- Fergie, and uh, uh, let me see, uh, Ernie Banks.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. Ernie.
4: Ernie. My my first year, I came up in the end of '71, and that was Ernie's last year as a player. And I got to the last weekend of the of the season. I got to play third, and and he played first. So I got I got a chance to play with him the last weekend of the seventy one season. And uh, then um, he became a coach for the next couple of years. And of course, I was there at that point.
1: Oh, so cool. was Ernie a good guy?
4: Yeah, he was a good guy. He was uh, everybody loved him, and um, he just uh, he was Mister Cub.
1: Yeah. yeah. So
4: everybody he was adored by everybody.
1: Yeah, so now back it. back in your day you guys also uh, when you went on the road, you had roommates, right?
4: Uh, yeah, yeah um, I had I, I was fortunate enough that that uh, Blake Cullen, who was the traveling secretary at that point, uh, he said, "Anybody that plays a trumpet should have a private room. So,
2: <laughs> You're gonna so bother I, everybody so, else."
4: Man. Yeah, so I, I got—I uh, didn't have to room with anybody.
2: What a great um, ploy! That was brilliant.
4: <laughs> yeah, that was uh, my first year. I might have roomed uh, maybe with Gene Heiser for a short time, but. But he said that uh, that's what he told me. He said, anybody that plays trumpet should have a room by himself. So I didn't I didn't have to.
2: to well, uh, well, if you played the drums, you'd get the whole damn floor probably,
4: right? <laughs> for, probably. Did probably. you travel you, with your trumpet? Oh, always. I always took it with me. And uh, I was always looking for, you know, I, was just, I would always try to practice a little bit during the day. And, and at night after the games and stuff, even on the road, I was looking for places to play.
2: In Chicago, uh, had, were there were there any C D jazz clubs that you would play? Because you had all day games oh yeah, in Chicago, right? Right,
4: uh, right. It was all day games then. So I, uh, the first place that I that I sat in was the back room down on Rush Street. Oh, yeah. And I I used, I used to go there a lot, and that was uh, it. Worked out perfect for me because, uh, like you said, we were we were playing all day games at that point, and I met some musicians there, Judy Roberts, and a bunch of other people, and danny long and i would go sitting with him and
2: you know um joe pepitone we've heard his, i read his autobiography he seemed to be uh someone who definitely liked a drink or two uh did you see any of that with joe pepitone uh and, and plus what's the story with his hair was that really a wig or what What are we talking
4: yeah he um uh, he was a distinct personality he was uh <laughs> he was joe pepitone from probably the day he was born and he still <laughs> I just saw that he just turned seventy seventy eight. I think he's a year older than me, and he had a wonderful career. You know, he just uh, um, when I think of when I think of Joe, you know, I just uh, it was of course his his hair pieces and stuff are legendary. You know, right. Like he used to um, he wouldn't go out to the national anthem, you know, because he didn't want to take his hat off. <laughs> And, and did,
2: then, you, but, did you guys and then ever was, like hide his hairpiece before? It would have killed you. Probably. Well, no,
4: I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't try that. But uh, and there was one time that he was, you know, that like he was catching a pop up, you know, and it was a windy day, <laughs> and he was, he was holding his hat down with his one hand, and, and, uh, and catching the ball with the other hand. And then another, another, another time, I remember in the clubhouse, the only time I ever saw him in the shower without his without his rug on. And it was just it was frightening. Yeah, right. It a, just, right. <laughs> was,
2: Who's that guy? Such
4: right. a, yeah, exactly. He was such a, a a vain guy that he was always suntanned, you know. I mean, he probably even went to, you know, tanning salons, you know, but he was so he was so dark. But then without his rug, his top of his head was completely white. Yeah. Just like <laughs> stone white. Just never <laughs> saw was, the light it, of day. <laughs> Exactly right. You know, he looked like, uh, looked like a 90-year-old man in the shower you know, with, his, with his rug on. He was, he was Joe Pepitone. Yeah, well,
2: as a bald man, I think I'm going straight to uh, get a, get, getting a toupee on the way out, home from the studio today. Okay, joining us on the phone right
1: now, uh, he's the vice president of CBS Photography Operations, but you may know him for something else, and that is uh, maybe one of the most iconic photographs Ever The 20th taken. century, definitely. Um, especially in the 20th century, people my age and Dave's age were in our late 50s, um, mid 50s. Thank you. Okay. Very well. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's a. It's the. It's the photograph at Kent State, the the massacre of uh, the four students um, by the National Guard. John was there. He was a <laughs> youngster. He took that photograph that we have all seen a million times um could you tell us just paint the picture of what it was like on that day at that time
5: well at that time it was it was um, the whole day was very surreal students were coming in you know uh, doing their photo work and saying oh you're gonna hear the rally at noon and i said well yes i'm gonna go and it was about i said okay i'm gonna see if i can document student protest in america because I've, uh. I've missed everything else so when i got to the other side of taylor hall on uh, the crest of that hill i noticed that the large contingent of group uh, guardsmen about 80 85 something like that guardsmen are in helmets and gas masks and uh, they're pointing their rifles at them and i'm going oh my god this is This is the best picture I've ever taken. Hold it right right there. fantastic. (laughs) And I'm I'm looking around saying, did anybody get this picture? And I'm walking up the sidewalk saying, well, that that was an interesting thing. I think it's all over. Only to find the guardsmen returning in a hurry, students fleeing, and I'm standing on the sidewalk, and it's in this uphill climb with steps and everything, and I'm dodging students, and the guard begins firing. And they're on the crest of the hill, and I'm about two-thirds of the way up the hill. And you hear, you know, you, you sort of hear the whiz of the bullet go by your ear. Jeez. And then you see, then you hear, the, you know, the, sort of the guns going off. Um, and I remember, well, I said, oh, i got to get it. I thought it was a scare tactic. Uh, you know, other than once I heard that bullet, I knew it wasn't uh, go by. And before that happened, there was a, looked like a guardsman pointing a rifle in my direction, and he let loose, and in my the view immediately in front of me was this huge metal sculpture and this huge clang and there's this cloud of rust around it and that bullet penetrated that sculpture and hit the tree to my right Oh my god! took off a little chunk of bark
4: and I said oh my
5: god someone was using live ammunition and I shocked I'd sort of dropped the camera around. you know it was wearing around my neck but uh, by the time I recomposed myself it was it was sort of over and I was angry that I didn't get a picture of the guardsmen shooting and um, but I noticed around the middle of sculpture there was somebody wounded. I mean they were playing on the ground, people you know just starting to look at them and starting to minister to them and as I turned slowly around behind me, because I couldn't understand how I didn't get hit, I mean that was that was my initial reaction am I hitting them in a state of shock and I don't know it. So there were people the bullets on my right and immediately to my left if you look down the hill was was um, this body on the asphalt and a huge huge stream of blood coming out of the neck area oh
2: my
5: god. and uh, and not being a doctor or a medical technician I said well my god that person's dead just just on the volume of blood in that few seconds um, I, I, I sort of elected to go that way, not, not to where the wounded was, uh, person was, because already there was the had sort of reformed, um, and, and left. Um, yeah, I stayed by the body of, of Jeffrey Miller and, uh, I wanted to, I think I sort of wanted to flee immediately after the shooting, and then stop myself halfway down the hill saying, well, it's all over when, you, when you're running from now, you know." and then stayed with the body of Jeffrey Miller. And I do remember students screaming uh, in my ear about what kind of pig I am shooting in this picture oh, of this dude. body yeah. of blood. And you just say, you just had to ignore it, you know. Uh, the, guard, the, the, the general said, if you guys don't disperse, they're going to shoot again. Oh, my God. And, Unbelievable. And now you, now you had time to think about this, and no one moved. And you went, oh, oh my God. I'm, <laughs> I'm about about 10 people back, you know, like yeah. how far will a bullet go through, how many bodies? <laughs> Rick and
2: I would have been getting sandwiches for everybody. Right, exactly. We'll be right back, guys. Yeah, <laughs> <We'll>
5: be... <laughs> yeah. yeah. anybody
2: like coffee? You yeah. Know, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, right. All right, you get a Reuben, you get I'll be back in a little... <laughs> All right, we
1: have to take a break, but Minutia Men will be right back. On this week's Minutia Men celebrity
2: interview, Rick, we talked to a wonderful author, his 2019 memoir, The Lie, a memoir of two marriages can fishing and coming out was a New York Times- Editor's choice. We talk to author William Demeron. Listen to Minutia celebrity interview on
1: Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts, just search for Radio Misfits. I'm Kimmy. I'm Tommy. And I'm Sam. And on this week's episode of And Friends... New episode of And Friends coming to an ear near you.
2: We're going back to our roots, right? Yeah, we're getting deep into our roots. We're going back into vaginas. We've gotten some news from Burger King. We're we're getting all feminine in this one, in my mind.
1: Eating my, my good chips. Tommy, Tommy, you can't you can't eat chips while we're doing our promo.
3: Apparently I can. We can do it on the show.
1: Oh, God! Listen to Ant Friends on
2: Spotify,
0: opishows.com,
2: or wherever you find podcasts.
1: Just search for Radio Misfits. I'm Howard Sedbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. On back to you. Steve and I ask each other the question, have you ever... Please don't tell my business, that's personal. A fascinating question with more fascinating answers. Things that make you go, Hmm. Uh, back to you back to you with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville you can find back to you on Spotify opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts just search for Radio Misfits this ought to be fun to listen to we hope you'll like it (laughs) And we're back. Okay, joining us now on the telephone, uh, somebody that we've known for a few years, one or two years, a man who is known to Chicago television viewers as Fox
2: 32's Dane Placco, a journalist, a reporter. I like how you just kind of did your Dane Placo face when you said well, I, I Placco? I not is only there, did, I did the voice and Dane the face. face? <laughs> <There's>, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, we, that's Absolutely. all. Have you not been listening to our podcast, <laughs> Dane? All we do is talk
1: about you. Uh, so anyway, we have him uh, for just a few minutes. He's uh, literally in a stairwell uh, awaiting uh, his assignment. I, no, I, wa-
6: I was in a stairwell. Now I'm in a parking garage. Oh, you know? okay. I okay. went up the stairwell. I'm, I'm, you want me to do play-by-play? This is really fascinating. My yeah. walk to work.
2: Yes. Hey, um, You got any homeless person there that we can talk to
6: (laughs) you know what actually there probably will be (laughs) if you'd like
1: so we should try to make this as uh, real of an interview as possible because dave and i are professionals Mm -hmm. and you're a professional and one of the things that our listeners uh, would be most interested in is some of the stories that you've covered and for me the one story that that i've heard you tell before which i could hear a million times is Uh the story of when you were in milwaukee as a reporter and you stumbled onto the Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> story. Can you please tell us that story?
6: So, so, yeah, it was a Monday night. It was like, I think the summer of 1990, I want to say. It was a hot night. I'd worked a 2 to 10 shift, uh, 2 to 10.30, did something on the 10 o'clock news. I was working for the ABC affiliate up there. About midnight, I'm driving home. And to get home, I had to go down uh, 94, the main expressway that cuts through Milwaukee, east-west, that ran by the Old County Stadium. And as I'm driving down, I, again, my car didn't have good a, air conditioning. Because
2: uh, you were <laughs> too cheap to fix it. Yeah,
6: okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the windows rolled down. And as I'm driving along the interstate, I hear all these sirens. And I'm looking around. I do not see any smoke. I don't see any fires. I hear a lot of police sirens, fire department sirens. I thought, that's odd. I get home. And within a couple minutes after I walk in the door, my phone rings. And it's our overnight producer, young girl who's just out of Marquette University, was working at the desk and, and producing the morning show. I answer the phone and she says, "Heads in the refrigerator, in the refrigerator. I I said, slow down, slow down. Hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I said, what are you talking about? She's listening to the police scanner and she hears the cops talking about finding some heads in this guy's refrigerator. And uh, I said, nah, that can't possibly be. And she's probably just having some fun on the on the on the scanner on the two-way i said call me back if it's anything so 20 minutes he called me back and uh yeah it was it was jeffrey dahmer and we were all out there the the following day when they were bringing the uh refrigerators out and all the yeah
1: well that that's a great story i love that story dave dave has one that he wants to hear too okay. remember the uh, the one that happened in 2003 your, oh, your favorite oh, moment of oh, all yeah. oh. uh,
2: Uncle Dane! Tell the story when your heart got yeah. broken about Bartman and what was going on there.
1: Yeah,
6: yeah, yeah. You, you just want to hear it because you're a Sox fan. <laughs> this is—I've joked about this—is like White Sox fan.
2: Porn. Oh, it's porn. Yeah. It is. It is yeah. <laughs> I, I'm on Pornhub right now. <laughs> porn cub, not Pornhub. Porn cub. <laughs>
6: Yeah, I was there that uh, infamous Game Six of the NLCS 2003. I mean, it was it was on Fox, so we had the game on our air, and I was there covering it as a reporter. So I retreated to the tunnel behind Section 16 to watch the, the last inning and a half, couple innings go by. And I saw the ball off the bat that kind of curled the foul ball down the left field line. And I didn't see what happened because I was the, the tunnel sort of obstructed my view a little bit. But I heard this weird reaction from the crowd. And I asked the guy sitting up, What uh, you know, some guy reached out for I couldn't really see. There was no video board at, really at that time. Remember, there was right. no replay system in the ballpark. So, you, you know, if you didn't see the play, you didn't see it so that the, the you know you see a loo going crazy something clearly had happened but i wasn't quite sure what and then it all started to fall apart and you know i don't need to tell you the story dave do you want to recite the sort of details you probably
2: <laughs> i can't talk right memory, now memory there's right? too much blood rushing somewhere right now i cannot talk right <laughs> now okay this is a exciting moment
1: for the minutiae men uh show we have um, a uh world famous author he wrote uh, politically correct bedtime stories that was his first book which
2: Dave, do you know that it sold more than two point five million copies in the United States? I think that's about two point five million more copies than the Balding Handbook, the Five Stages of Grieving for your hair. It also has been translated into twenty languages. Twenty more languages than the Balding Handbook. I think has. nineteen more. <laughs> okay, think
1: I'm trying. pretty sure you got English. Good point. Uh, Sixty-five weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. He's written, uh, you know, other ones uh, once. Once Upon a More Enlightened Time, Politically Correct Holiday Stories. Those were on the New York Times list. Uh, this man is a uh, hes a gazillionaire. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, he, well, he's charging us 1600 bucks to do this. Did you well, know that? I, I'm just excited to have him on, uh, uh, like an, an actual legitimate author on our show. Welcome to James Finn Garner. How are you, Jim?
0: Good morning. I'm still waiting for the check from you guys, by the
2: way. <laughs> it's in the mail. Yeah, you can wait oh, yeah. all you want, buddy. Uh, <laughs> hey. The real tapes. So anyway, your book
1: is a New York Times bestseller. I think we've already established that. I I think it's brilliant. I, I laughed out loud as I read it. And I remember thinking, because this was kind of my shtick for years, the whole uh, how ridiculous the the fairy tale stories that we were told as kids were and how mean they were and how 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 uh politically incorrect they were
0: right but, exactly i mean i used stories that were <clears throat> sort of sanitized i used versions that were sort of sanitized but when you go back to uh actual brothers grim stuff it's really grim it is well named
2: yeah, you no, know, it's cannibalization. Cantal- it's well, yeah. Uh, I grew up uh, with
1: German parents, yeah. so I mean, they w- they would tell me these stories, you know, in the original form, and I would go to bed like, ah! <laughs> you know, my 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 father, his favorite story was that Hansel and Gretel story where they leave the children in the woods to die.
0: Mm-hmm. Did he ever tell you that story, like when he's driving out?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, uh, he actually one time gave my, my sister and I each a piece of rye bread and said he was taking us out to the woods to leave us there
2: if we didn't stop fighting. Most pediatricians are not saying that's a particularly <laughs> good form of parenting, but, you know, yeah. uh, uh, i do one more fairy tale
1: story for you. When I was a kid, my parents told me the story of Max and Moritz. Have you ever heard this one?
2: no i've been to that deli though it's really yeah it's
1: kind of like that so mox and moritz were two little boys uh jim who uh who were told not to play in the mill uh by their parents and they didn't listen and they went in and they played in the mill and they were crushed in tiny pieces and spread out over the land to fertilize the crops well, that's nice. <laughs> that's the story. That's
2: the. It's a circle of life thing. And we'll be back right after these. Uh, so anyway,
1: let's let's get off the Let's get off the fairy tales now. You and I have gotten into uh, two musical fights on Twitter and Facebook. Um, <laughs> at, at one point, um, I made the case that if the Beatles had stayed together, that their 1970s albums the early mm-hmm. 70s albums would have been better than the rolling stones this mm-hmm. apparently was a bridge too far for you and you were
0: outraged
1: please make <laughs> I would please make out, the case
0: you well for one thing it's a huge leap to say if the beatles had stayed together since they were basically kind of creating apart after 1968 uh, and they they so their creative time as a band as a foursome i would say was about five years long right because then it became a mccartney thing and a lennon thing and george couldn't get a song in and blah 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 yeah so you have to get over that hurdle that they would stay together but their their actual creative time as a songwriting group was like five or six years right
1: well yeah so So, fairly good years
0: yeah well they were good years Yeah, yeah they were okay yeah and um I would point out that the Rolling Stones had those strong songwriting years from about 66 until about uh, 76 with a couple of things popping up and, you know, Keith's blood, whatever. I just think the Beatles, marvelous as they are, um, come from a tradition that that is not at the bedrock of rock and roll. They they pursued Buddy Holly stuff in the Rolling Stones. Pursued muddy waters kind of stuff, and that is the that is the core bedrock foundation of rock and roll is the blues.
2: Okay, well
1: I so guess this can
0: right, yeah. go back to the. Uh, I've got you guys dumbfounded now.
2: Well, you're uh, no, no considerably top. smarter than Rick. No, my, no, I've already got my here. coat on. I'm walking out the door right now, <laughs> and uh, we're in, and we're in Rick's yeah. mom's basement too, which is off,
1: <laughs> I, 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 won't very be, I
0: won't be home when you come here. I won't be home when you get here, Rick. <laughs> <I'm gone. laughs>
1: okay. Uh, you know, I'm not going to debate it with you anymore. We did on Facebook, but I just wanted to let you get your uh, incorrect opinion out there. Um, That's fine. Then the other the debate that we had on Twitter, in which I also outraged you uh, mm-hmm. inadvertently. You two need jobs.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, was
1: uh, you were uh, on a Roxy Music uh, rant, and I pointed out that I kind of like the song "Love Is the Drug." And, wow, uh, please uh, let our listeners know what uh, what offense that was.
0: Well, I mean, you could like songs. That's fine. I would not say that that's a good Roxy music song. I would say that's a terrible Roxy music song. But you can like it. That's fine. There are terrible songs we all like. But the crummy, cute lyrics, the uh, lack of good guitar work, uh, since Manzanera was no longer with the band um, – the lack of experimentation, the, uh, the lack of Andy McKay on saxophone just makes that a throwaway party song, you know, instead of like remake, remodel or, um, or even thrill of it all, like a booming wall of sound song, like thrill of it all, um, just knocks that song out, knocks love is a drug out of the water. Okay. Yes. You can't sing along with some songs, but it's like, you know, it's just not, it's not in the same league. It's
2: just not. Yeah, take that, Rick. Okay. Well, I, I did.
1: I took it. I took it. I took I took not only. Uh, take it
0: again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Rick, Rick, and enjoy I it. Can. Good for you. You know, I've been trying to take him down for 30 years. Thank you. That has been our
1: special edition of Minutia Men. We'll be back again next week uh, with, uh, with another edition of uh, a brand new edition uh, that will be uh, produced by executive producer Tony Lasano of Opie Productions. It will be distributed by Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Next week's brand new edition of Minutia men will return right here. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19.
6: Proceeding with a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com.
1: Thank you. This has been a presentation of OPI Productions.
2: Tony, can you shut up?
0: Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we talk fastest, rudest, oddest, and more. Cars and drivers, that is. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Lou Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.
1: This week on Free Kicks with Adam and Rick.
5: We're going to talk about Eric Lamella's incredible goal, which we call a...
1: A Rabona. Listen to Free Kicks on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Rabona. Yeah.